Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. I'm Alex and in this episode we'll be listening to the crime writer Stuart Turton talk about his new novel The Devil and the Dark Water. Stuart won the Costa First Novel Prize for his first book The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle which was a ingenious blend of Agatha Christie and various genre elements and with The Devil and the Dark Water he takes the Sherlock Holmes story um, and imbibes it with a new twist, lots of fun, thrills, mystery and it's well worth reading and well worth listening to Stuart. I'm afraid that the audio quality isn't quite as good as we'd like um, but we have put the episode out because we think that Stuart is well worth listening to. There is also a rogue swear in the recording um, so apologies for that but otherwise please enjoy the episode. So Stuart is here to talk about his new novel, The Devil and the Dark Water, um, published on the 1st of October. Um, So the first question is, I'm going to give you the task of sort of like telling us a little bit about the book, what the book's about, because I'm not sure I can do it without giving anything away or (laughs) dropping enormous spoilers. Okay, nail down the second this one, I don't quite know what it is. I struggle to put down. So please forgive me if this goes on for the next 25 minutes. <laughs> um, it is about what the elevator pitch for it is. It's a Sherlock Holmes style mystery uh, set on a haunted boat in 1634. So it's this, uh, it's a merchant ship and it's leaving Jakarta on an eight month voyage to go back to Amsterdam. Um, and this is just based on, there's a lot of, lot of historical fiction stuff that's built into it. But on board this ship are a bunch of passengers, wealthy people, poor people, the crew, everyone's got a secret. And no sooner are they out to see them, mysterious things begin to happen and they culminate with this murder, with an impossible, impossible murder. And everyone begins to suspect there's a demon roaming around on board the ship and it's made its presence felt by this. Thankfully, the world's greatest detective is on board the ship and he would be able to sort it out. Unfortunately, he's a prisoner, so he can't do anything. So it's left to his Watson-style sidekick to investigate with instead. We've got some help as things go along, but yeah, that's fundamentally the core of it. And then it's just a twisty, turny, supernatural, slightly scary mystery novel. So yeah, hopefully it's good fun. No, it is very good for you. Really enjoyed it. Um, I think one of the things that I expect to see from you is that your writing room looks potentially could look like a conspiracy theorist. Well, I expected that you'd have sort of like um, characters everywhere and sort of like plots linked together by red pieces of string or whatever how do you find um writing that sort of thing where there's a lot of mystery and obviously your last novel was very sort of like intricate as well is it difficult to do how do you go about that not difficult i mean i spent three months planning well i spent three months planning both books and i don't such a word i don't write a word in the book until i plan until it's complete the first sort of page last what I don't plan is the characters. So I, I plan plot, I don't plan characters. And I find the characters in the writing. So and I do that by sort of throwing them into rooms together and letting everyone interact and then seeing how well they get along or what they disagree on and what the humour is and who likes whom. And um, that's strange because sometimes the characters won't do the thing that my preordained plot says that they're supposed to do. Like they're just in the growing and telling of them. They simply won't do that thing. So I have to rejigger the plot. So that's where it sometimes gets because once I do the plan, once it's fixed, then it's an Excel spreadsheet or it's some post-it notes, 
I sort of internalise it all. I internalise all that planning, and I'll never look at those documents again. So I'll make the changes in my head on the fly as we go along. But I don't write chronologically, so I write the bit of the book that I'm going to find interesting that day. So holding all that together is it can be like I've always found it relatively simple and straightforward. It's like the only talent I have. But like you said, when we used to sort of write the last two years, we thought, what's that writing this book? So holding something this complex in your head and making those changes possible. I was getting too obviously but I was destroyed and I was trying to write this complicated novel, I just couldn't do it. So for the first year of it, it was scratch. I was just writing nonsense pages after nonsense pages. And effectively for the first year, I was throwing all the way and started again. Once my daughter started going to childbirth and started getting to sleep, I was like, oh God, this is a nightmare. And then yeah, so start again. So I think about 170,000 words I've choked. Like, I probably think about, I mean, probably about 16,000 words of that draft are still in the book. So, yeah, it's, got, it's, it's a complicated writing technique. <laughs> What's it like to throw away 170,000 words? Oh, it's devastating. But I did it for Seven Deaths as well. I'm not on that scale. I think I threw away about 40,000 words of Seven Deaths. I've got to come to peace with the fact that it's my technique. I'm going to overwrite because I do try and just put characters, as I say, in a room and find out what they're going to do with each other. Big action scene or big beat for the book that I don't like. So the written, and I like the writing individually, like what they're doing, but within the whole of the novel, within the story of the novel and the arcs of the novel, the way it paces, they don't work. So I'll just toss them. And I kind of think it's like, it must be like being in the editing suite on a movie and you've got all this over matter and you're just trying to work out which bits of that story work best together. So it really bummed me out when I first did it, whereas now I'm just much more chill about it. Like, especially for book three, which I'm writing now, I'm kind of like, it's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. It'll be okay. Fantastic. Um, was there anything that in particular that attracted you to the the time period and the location like you say it's set in sort of like the mid 17th century and it's um most of the characters are um coming a, a dutch rather than uh english or anything is there anything that was particularly sort of like drew you to that how did you come to that sort of um idea it actually came uh because i was backpacking around australia when i was 23 so 40 now to put in So when I came to write my second novel, this idea always stuck with me. I always wanted to write it. 
Well, by the time it came to do this one, I didn't want to write it straight up. I didn't just want to tell the straight story. It was too horrible. I'd spent a lot of time in death writing horrible people and putting horrible people through horrible things. And I wanted a more fun cast. I wanted a more fun story. I wanted something to pace here. I wanted to write a Sherlock Holmes style mystery. So I was just like, screw it. Just like, take a lot of stuff you want to do and put it in this location and put it in this atmospheric ship that's, you know, stranded at sea and see how it goes. So it all came from that, just like mashing up of all these things I wanted to do and just see if it all fit together. And back with it there, books and down. <laughs> it sounds like it. Uh, one of the things I really liked about this one is um, that it's set upon a, apart from sort of like the first couple of chapters, it's set upon this um, big ship. Uh, and that strikes me that's a, a great sort of like place to set a crime novel. Uh, was that fun to write, the ship and the, everything that was going on? Because you've got sort of like the upstairs, downstairs bit and all the enclosed parts and... Um, can you tell us a bit about the ship and how you came to write that? And well, I kind of like, it's funny, there's it was a, it was a mixture there because I researched that very meticulously so I understood what sailing in this period would be like involved. But I was very keenly aware right at the beginning that I didn't want to be writing Master and Commander. Like, I don't want this to be a boat novel. Like, it's not going to have that historical accuracy because it needs to be, it's a mystery novel and the boat needs to serve as that. So what I ended up doing was taking all of that research and information and then using that almost to build a haunted house at sea. And that's what the boat is. So it is historically rigorous. These decks existed, the mass, everything explained the way the ship would work is right. But it's a haunted house first and foremost. So instead of having, you know, this boat would have been planted by about 90 crew. That's too many people for a mystery novel. So now it's about seven people crewing it you me, and then we vaguely allude to the people in the background doing other jobs. So you cast this as kind of a front center. So I had to make those changes and turn up the upstairs. So it's about three minutes long to the boat. So like, where would be these spaces were? Because in real life, this boat would have been packed with people. There would have been eyes absolutely everywhere. It's very hard to plot a mystery when there's eyes everywhere. So I tried to use as much of that as I could, but then create spaces where the private conversations could happen. So it's a really, again, it's a juggling act just to sort of have a boat, have a location to serve my plot. But it was also into the plot, and it was also really because I care. Um, it was a lot of fun, but again, everything in this book was always a little bit tricky. It was always a bit of a juggling act because it is a piece of historical fiction, but it's not always historical fiction. It is a bit supernatural, but it's not always supernatural. It is a mystery novel, but it's trying to do all these other things simultaneously. It was a lot of... I mean, it kept me entertained for two years. That's all I can ask. <laughs> And um, like you've already said, it's kind of a, you've referred to it as like a Sherlock Holmes novel, um, whereas um, The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle was a Agatha Christie book. Uh, what, how do you go about writing a Sherlock Holmes novel without it sort of like, without it becoming too much like a pastiche almost is it is it difficult do you, do you go back to like i take it you're a sherlock holmes fan so do you go back to the sherlock holmes stories or do you kind of like try and park that while you're writing it or how do you go about that sort of thing? i think the same thing like so what i did with seven deaths my first book was that i wanted to write my an Agatha Christie style novel. So I took a lot of the things that you consider Agatha tropes, where each one I put in, I tried to twist it or do something different with it. So it was there, but it didn't mean the thing that it would traditionally mean in the Christie novel. I felt the same way about this one. When I was writing Sherlock Holmes style mystery, so there's a few things that are important. It's the deductives that I was massively important. The relationship, the idea, 
the home's Watson dynamic is crucial to those stories. Like it's really important that you have that sort of dynamic going on. Um, and then Holmes always goes on adventures. So like Poirot, Marple, they sit down and they figure things through, right? There's usually in a couple of locations. Holmes is always dashing off places. There's always like getting fights. There's always action scenes. So I took all those things and I inverted it. Why is it as the actor I'm doing it? But my show is locked away. So he kind of he has all the the world. It's humbled in a way that Holmes never was in those stories, like he is. He's at his lowest ebb and he can't really help terribly much. So it's like to the Watson style sidekick to do the investigating, and it's about it's really about him trying to find the step into a role that he truly again we talk about having an adventure. Well that's great, but I made a seafaring adventure. So you've got all those other things that come with that genre. So you've got storms and you've got ghost ships and you've got treasure and you've got pirate all these things that would come into it I try and throw in. So I think as long as you're not for me, I think if you're if you just want to write a pastiche of a Sherlock Holmes story, that is what you're going to do. But if you strike out with more ambition than that, and an idea to do something purpose at every point, but come up with something that it may fail, it may not be enjoyable, you may just screw it off with ability. That's always my worry. Every time I start blocking this one off, I'm going to screw this one off. Um, but like at least you can start with that ambition to what comes off at the end of it, whether it worked or not. At least you can say, well, it's okay. This is what I got. No, I think that's true. It's it's very it's very entertaining. Um, is it? You've already said sort of um, that there's horror elements or supernatural elements to mm. this, despite the fact that it's predominantly a crime novel. And uh, I guess without wanting to throw any spoilers into your earlier work, Evelyn Hardcastle was a um, crime novel with science fiction elements. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, so, do do you enjoy playing with genres and sort of like going into different things and trying different things out like that? Is it does that is that a way to keep you interested, or is it I mean, just something not, that comes naturally to you? Yeah, it's just natural. Like I'm just honestly trying to tell a fun story, and the way my brain works seems to sort of like I seem to drift through genres when I'm telling stories. Of the elements I think to bring is they always seem to be part of the genre. But I never had anybody, I've been incredibly lucky with the people who surround me, so my agent, my publisher, uh, even my family, no one's ever said to me, don't do that. No one's ever been like, that's not the way you write books, you should write a genre book, or it needs to be this one element, you can't put these elements in. So it's never been a conversation I've had, so it's never been something I've thought about. So it feels completely natural for me, that's at a point where it feels, to tell this story, I love writing. If somebody had said to me, well, you can't use the romantic elements of it that are in, you can't use the supernatural tropes of it, the gothic horror that's there, I wouldn't have known how to write it. Like, I couldn't have wrote this as a straight-up Sherlock Holmes-style mystery. I just simply wouldn't have known how to do that. So this is for me to do, to be doing that thing. So it is tricky sometimes juggling different elements of genre. But I also have a love of all the genres I've just been to. I love gothic horror, and I absolutely adore I love the Sherlock Holmes stories, even though I have some problems with Sherlock Holmes as a character. Um, in the same way that I love science fiction, I love um, I guess Christie mysteries. So like because I see I feel like I know those genres inside now, it's relative to pick the guts out of them and mash them all together and see some new Frankenstein creatures. It's it's really interesting. So just before we uh, well you said you're halfway through writing a third novel now, and so I guess without wanting to give anything away too early, you've, we've, you've done Christie and then you've looked at Sherlock Holmes. Are you going to be looking at another classic sort of uh, crime um, genre to 
um, to to write about. Uh, I, I don't don't want don't need to name names, but <laughs> uh, no, this one's going to be. I'm not yeah, I'm not halfway through. I've just started planning a bit, so I've done my three months planning, so my plots in place, uh, and I've just started waiting about seven thousand words in at this point. I, uh, no, it's not going. The location is not a crime. It's something else I loved as a kid. It's like the next. It's funny. It's not. This was not intentional. But the first set of books I loved as a kid were Christie books. Then I moved on to Sherlock Holmes. Then I moved on to Stevie, and then I moved on to this thing that I'm writing now. And I feel in a way that Devil is a bit of Stephen King, a bit of Sherlock Holmes. So I kind of I can read through those first three loves, and now I'm into this fourth thing that I absolutely love. Um, I won't call it necessarily a genre so much, but it will become clear when we announce what this book is about. But well, like, yeah, that's the that's the setting for it. But it's gonna be it's gonna be mad. I think it's gonna be <laughs> absolutely crazy. This book. is that gonna be a, 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 on the front the the line on the front cover? It's gonna be mad. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be utterly nuts because the um, again, this the story for Devil is just the story for Devil. It's like plot out. This is the story that came out, and it's the same for Seven Deaths. Like I don't have any intentions of any. Fantastic. Um, so, can we talk a little about your writing journey, please? Because you, um, I don't know if we would say you came to book publishing relatively late, but you had a career as a journalist before. Um, you became a published author. So how how is it that you sort of like became a published author and after sort of like that career, have you always wanted to be a writer and then sort of like came to it late? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I wanted to write Agatha Christie novels a year old, like, but not the novels I was writing straight up Agatha Christie novel. And I'm saying, I was like, I love these, I'd love to write one. And that kind of rest of my life. Like, I was always chasing after it, and it's kind of like, it was like the flag in the distance, I'll get there eventually. So when I was 21, I tried to write one, and it's awful. Um, just really, really bad piece of writing. There was no original, no original ideas to it or anything else. And I realised I needed to sort of go away and sort of actually learn how to write. Like, I need to learn to structure, I need to do all these things. So that's what kind of guided me into journalism, and then I, I just got, I loved the job. Like, I just, and I was very, very lucky. Like I got good jobs with really good people. I enjoyed doing them. So it wasn't always like I need to quit this because I need to start writing that book. I was having a good time and I did every job until I got to the point where I was like, oh, I'd like to be doing something else I could change. Because I also have um, my, like my, <laughs> my attention span can be quite limited sometimes. So especially with jobs, I'd do something for a year and a half, two years, then move on to the next thing. And journalism's great for that because there's always a different branch of journalism to be moving into and I love to travel, so I travelled a lot of my jobs. So I moved through, I started writing on a technology magazine and travel magazine, lifestyle and interviews and everything. And it was just brilliant, like I was learning to be edited, that's the biggest skill that came out of that, like just having someone put a red pen through your work and say, look, that's not working, you know, I don't think you quite hit the thing that you thought you were hitting there. It's a really valuable skill for a writer. And knowing how to structure a piece and knowing how to pace a piece and work, what bits of information also incredibly helpful. So yeah, so I was doing that. I was really enjoying them. And then I was in Dubai of all places and I had my dream job and I met my girlfriend. And I just had this moment where I suddenly had the idea, that book that I'd given up on when I was 21, I suddenly realised how to fix it, or at least make it so that I'd be interested in writing it. And that was the idea for Seven Deaths, at which point just 
it just got old. I mean, with that, I was just like, more sort of crap, right? So thankfully, my girlfriend came with me. Uh, it was a strange journey. It would be bad. We'd been doing like deals for well paying. We had this beautiful apartment for 30 floors, skyscraper overlooking the marina. We traveled for two weeks or every month. We went on holiday. Like, it was the dream job. And I dragged her back to London in winter. And we took a, we got a little flat above a children's nursery. And uh, I wrote to the smell of like screaming children and dirty nappies every day. And uh, I totally took, I did freelance journalism, so I only took the work every month and paid the bills. And then I gave up and wrote full time on the book. So we had no money. And it was miserable for about two years. Absolutely trouble, and sometimes I feel like what I've done, I've made a massive mistake. But thankfully, it worked out, and so I did well enough for now a full time author. So it was a bit unusual. I'm really lucky in the sense that I've met a lot of authors where all they ever wanted to be an author. It's kind of like, I won't say it's tainted the rest of their lives, but like, you know, they've always had it as the thing that they should actually be doing. Whereas I've been lucky that I've always enjoyed the film when they didn't, and I've always been able to go on and get something else out of it. So yeah, I came to publishing late, but I enjoyed the journey together. Yeah, fantastic. And sort of like, after all of that misery, um, Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle actually won the Costa uh, First Novel Award, um, which, what was that like? It was amazing. Well, it won the, it won the Books of My Five Readers Award before that as well, which was, um, I never wrote that book expecting to win awards. I never wrote that book expecting anyone to read it. In a weird way, I thought that like, by the time I got to the end of that book, I was too complicated and that I jammed too much stuff in there. So to win the award was just like, to read the book to my back first was just like ridiculous, this is incredible. I was so, I still am, like even here, I'm just still a bit bewildered about the success of that. And then the cost, I was just like, what the hell is going on at this point? Like, who is, this is amazing. Because um, it just meant that like the book, and the ambition, and also for my like, team, like the, my publisher had a massive risk. That nobody was from these books when my publisher bought it. They weren't, there was this high concept crime thing that sort of like gone into his little bunker in a way. And they sensed that it could be coming back and there might be room for it. So they took a huge leap to get this book out there and they put a lot into it. The cover was beautifully designed, it's hard, like all these things. So it was just beautiful for them to be rewarded. That's the one, beautiful, just incredibly good book. It was just great and sort of be rewarded for being brave and taking a pull on something which a lot of people didn't want to say a punt on. Like no one was clamoring for people in the twenty five Yeah, it really did satisfy. It been a lot of hard work as well. Yeah, and not bad nights worrying about what I was doing and whether I made the right decision. So yeah, to win a reward is just satisfying. Does it put pressure on you for the next book? When you sort of like after you've sort of like got rid of the hangover, presumably, and you sort of like sat sat on you sat in front of your computer a couple of days later with your second or third draft, is it? Do you suddenly sit there and think, oh my goodness, I've got to sort of like top that now, or uh, I've got to do better, or anything like that? No, not for me. I, because it's actually the reverse. Like for seven deaths, did well, I could be a full time author. I wasn't panicked about earning money anymore. I wasn't panicked about how I'd pay my rent. I didn't have to divide my time between four or five different projects. That's an incredible blessing. Like, that's an incredible privilege to have because it means I can throw myself full time away from these things. So, no, the pressure was actually really off. I never think about critical pressure, commercial pressure, because that's a thing. That's two years down the line. Like, that is sweet. And almost there's nothing I can do about that. The, all I can do is tell my story and then it gets taken off by marketing, it gets taken off by critics, it gets taken over by publicity. 
don't have to worry about how much money it earns, they have to worry about what it was, they have to get in front of the right people. But there's so much chance in that. There's so much. When we won the first novel, uh, the cost of thing, the judges that year were just the, the right judges for this book. They just loved reading this kind of book. They went into the ambition of it. If you've got the judges for another year, maybe, then maybe it wouldn't have been for them. Or all it took was the three judges that's you know, and that's all it took. I'm not feeling this, and I don't win that prize. So with those sorts of thoughts to do about it, you can't wait for it. You can't, there's nothing you can do to sort of put yourself in those shoes. You can't Great. And just finally, um, I guess, question that we ask sort of like everybody at the minute, how's, uh, what's life been like being a writer during a pandemic? Has it changed things much or are you still just sort of like getting a cup of coffee, going upstairs and getting to work? Yeah, a lot of the latter. I mean, we were talking off camera about this, that we both knew children. So when everything was locked down, the child kind of stopped, that child that was incredibly hard because me and my wife both have a lot of jobs, so we take a half a day and try and cram in full days working half a day. And you never that's never a satisfying way of working. But then we got time with our daughter, which we really enjoyed. So it was in the end it was a bit of a blessing because you know, she didn't full time childcare since she was what, like nine months old or something. So it was the first long period we got to spend with her. So actually we ended up weirdly kind of enjoying that. I mean life has to go back to normal. And so she's back in childcare now, we've got that to work because otherwise nothing ever gets finished and we both got things to get on with. But now, now that she's back in childcare, it feels pretty much normal for me. Like I say, I go and get my cup of coffee, I come upstairs, I sit in front of my computer for six to eight hours a day, and then I go downstairs for dinner and hang out. It's, it's a pretty nice way of moving. Yeah, there's this pandemic going on. Let's be honest, if I just do look at the news every day, it's perfectly happy month. Brilliant. Well, um, the Devil in the Dark Water is a fantastic book. It does everything that you set out to. I think it's incredibly entertaining. Uh, and thank you very much for speaking to us at the Sheffield Libraries podcast, Stuart Turton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to Stuart and thank you for listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, our podcast about libraries, reading and everything in between. See you again soon.